Welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to check us out. This was a really fun episode. Uh, Jeff Mantis Dunn is my guest. So he was originally a founding member and guitarist for the band Venom. Um, He's since founded his own version of the band called Venom Incorporated, and he's done a bunch of other projects like uh, Mantis and Drill. But Venom, this band, they came along when there was not a lot of really heavy stuff around, and they basically invented a genre of music called black metal. And they toured with Metallica and Slayer and Exodus and were very influential to those bands and so many other bands, including Pantera. And uh, Jeff's just got quite a cool story to tell from playing in Venom. He's got three black belts and three different martial arts. And he died for five minutes from a heart attack. He was resurrected. So really interesting conversation with Jeff Mantis. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome Jeff Dunn to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to be here and uh, looking forward to this. So yeah. I believe it came I believe it came via a mutual friend, Mr. John Karabi. Yeah, that's kind of a cool and we'll get into that how you two met because that's kind of a cool story. I, I had to figure that one out because yeah. I was like, how are these two this is a weird combination, but then I was like, oh, this is a cool story. So but your uh your story is interesting. The whole story, I mean, uh, from the beginning. You were actually more into uh, martial arts than music. Is that correct? In the early stages, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I grew up in the 70s, born in 61, but sort of growing up period was in the, in the 70s. And uh, 72, 73, you know, was the advent of the big kung fu boom in, in the UK, in the United Kingdom. And of course, Bruce Lee was all over the movies, and um, you know, I desperately wanted to go and see Enter the Dragon, but it was an 18 certificate, so I couldn't go to see it. So, my mom actually bought me the paperback book, which I've still got over there. Huh. Uh, so I read the novel, and um, I was absolutely fascinated by Bruce Lee. And I, my mom used to take me into Newcastle City Centre. We used to buy all the magazines and everything. You know, there was a there was a a store I remember, which was in a, and it was like an an indoor market. Very famous in Newcastle. It's still there to this day. I'm not sure if the stall is actually still there, but there used to be this uh, lady, and it was like a newsagent, and she had all these magazines and stuff, and she used to get American imports. God knows how, but she used hmm. to get all these. It was Inside Kung Fu, Black Belt, uh, Inside Karate, Karate Illustrated. And I used to buy all these martial arts magazines and just, you know, marvel at all the the techniques and things. So I I just got into it through that. Um, I started with Judo when I was 10 years old. Then I went to Wadaru Karate. Um, And then from there, I was was sort of learning out of books and everything because I I really wanted to do an art called Hapkido, which is a Korean art. But um, there was never a club in Newcastle at that point in the early 70s. And then in 1976, Taekwondo arrived in the northeast of England. And that was it for me. You know, So from 76 at the age 15, I did Taekwondo for 15 years. And in the meantime, I explored other arts, like Aikido, Jiu-Jitsu, and all that karate styles and stuff. But yeah, Taekwondo you have a black belt art. in Aikido, is that correct? Right? A black yeah, belt? But, yeah. Um, Black belt in Aikido, black belt in Taekwondo, and black belt in freestyle karate. Oh, dang. And, All those? Uh, crazy. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, um, I ended up, I was, I ended up um, alongside the music, 
which we'll get into, obviously. But I ended up being a professional instructor for 25 years. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. 19 of those years, I had, to, had my own dojo in, in Newcastle City Centre for 19 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So then, yeah, it was music. Um, your first album was T-Rex, which is like kind of funny to think about because your, your music that you play now is so heavy. Like, think of T-Rex, and your your favorite band was Slade, which is kind of like a more popular... I mean, because there wasn't any heavy metal back then in the 70s. So explain to me how you guys... You basically invented a genre of music. I mean, I think the heaviest thing that you listen to is probably Judas Priest, uh, but like the growls and stuff that you guys have in Venom, I mean, that just... I don't think there was too many bands doing that. Like, how did you even think of those to make those no. sounds? Do you know what it is? I've been asked this question so many times, Chuck, and it's mm. like, you know, how did you come up with this sound? How did you come up with this? I mean, yeah, you know, um, I'm the founder member of the band and I wrote the majority of the early material, Black Metal, Welcome to Hell, and the singles. Um, sort of midway through that period, Kronos was writing alongside me as well. Um, everything that we did, we just, it was a natural evolution, let's put it that way. Mm. I mean, yes, I mean, I was always into guitar-driven music. You know, so T-Rex and Slade, obviously, you know, Mark Boland had the Les Paul, he had the Flying V. Um, and I mean, if you look at Mark Boland, um, there's two similarities that I, I, I noticed. And I've been writing a book about Venom in my life for a few years now. Um, hope to get it finished at some point, but... Doing all the research, I was looking at the, the Mark Boland scenario, and then one of the bands that had a massive influence on me was Kiss. Right? Mm -hmm. Get to that in a minute. Sure, everybody's Kiss. Mark Boland. Yeah. Yeah. You look at Mark Boland, and then look at Paul Stanley. The mannerisms, the movements, the look, everything. that, And then look at Slade, look at Dave Hill, who was the lead guitarist, who was known as Super Yob, and he had these flamboyant shoulder pads and everything like that. And then you look at this guy. Ace Freely, yeah. Ace Freely, yeah. There was a lot of striking similarities between Dave Hill and Ace Freely and Paul Stanley and um, Mark Boland. So it was always guitar-driven music for me. And I can remember being at school one day, and it was actually heaving it down with rain. So the teachers had kept us in. They wouldn't allow us to go outside. It was just too wet. There was a bit of a storm going on. Um, this would have been, oh, God, 71, 72, I think, something like that. And the teacher put the radio on, and they were counting down the top 10. And I was, I was waiting to hear who was going to be number one. I was praying for number one. And it happened. It was T-Rex with Metal Guru. And that meant that T-Rex had a guaranteed spot on a TV program on Thursday evening called Top of the Pops. So hmm. 7.30, I was in front of that TV screen watching Martin T-Rex. It was the first time I'd ever seen T-Rex live. It wasn't live. It was mimed. It was, it was this Top of the Pops program, you know. But, you know, I used to watch that religiously. Like, you know, Slade was on all the time. The Sweet so it was always guitar-driven stuff. And I came up through the glam era. Um, Did you ever wear the, the glam the, stuff? Did you ever have, like, makeup or any of that, or scarves or anything? No. Okay. Because <laughs> no, picturing no, you in that would be funny. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, n- I never went that far. That's good. I love the, mu- I okay. love the music. Sure. Absolutely love the music. Um, and so, yeah, T-Rex, Rider White Swan was the first album I ever bought with sort of my own allowance money. And the first single I ever bought with my own allowance money was probably the single that sort of dipped my toes into the areas of heavy rock for the first time. And that was Queen, Seven Seas of Rye. Hmm. So I love that track. And I, I still, to this day, I love early Queen. You know, Ogre Battle, Brighton Rock, all, all those, oh, all that stuff was fantastic. Um, and then obviously um, the United Kingdom embraced Alice Cooper mm. with, the, with the single Schools Out. So there was another sort of heavy rock thing that I was into. And it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a journey, I suppose. I was looking for, you know, what's the next heaviest thing? What ah. comes after this? What goes after that? What goes after that? Um, the first gig I ever saw, the first band ever, was in 1978 in Newcastle City Hall, and that was Blue Oyster Cult. And that was the first time that um, Newcastle had seen lasers. You know, they ha- I think they had one laser and a mirror ball oh. in, the, in the City Hall, you know, and everybody in Newcastle. I mean, 1978, everybody was absolutely fascinated right. by this, you know, one laser. Um, but the gig that changed my life and made me go, that's it, that's what I'm doing, was Judas Priest, Killing Machine Tour, 1979, uh, May 28th, 7.30, Thursday evening on 1979. And the guy that did it was the guy who ran on, as I'm looking at the stage, stage left, this guy ran on in leathers with blonde hair and a flying V, and I went, I want to do that. And that was KK Downing. KK Downing, right. So, but then you guys kind of took it to like the next level. And then with it to explain this whole thing with the satanic lyrics and the imagery, you said that that was mostly done for shock value. Did anyone in the band take any of that stuff seriously or was it 100% for show? Uh, Do you know what it is? Various people in the band will say, yeah, yeah, yeah." I mean, fucking hell, the drummer did an interview with fucking... You know, British primetime news TV, you know, where the, the TV presenter said, oh, so are you a Satanist? He went, yeah. They say, fuck off. Of course you're not. <laughs> I don't think anybody was, you know. Yeah. I mean, we had one copy of the Satanic Bible between us that I think we bought from a news agent. And, you know, we read it and... um yeah, because I'm mean, listening to the song Welcome to Hell. I'm just now discovering you guys. I mean, I'd heard of Venom, but I didn't really. Now with Spotify, I know artists hate that, but I can go back and listen to all this stuff. I'm listening to the song Welcome to Hell. It's fucking scary. Like, it's a scary song. Like, it's, I mean, I know it's not real, but it's like, I mean, it's, it sounds creepy. You listen to it and you go, shit, like, this is like, this is some scary shit. Like, so I think it works. It's kind of like horror movies. Like, you know, they're not real, but it can scare you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been asked this question a million times, you know, and it's like, did you set out to shock? And yeah, yeah, we did. If Mm -hmm. people ran away screaming, it was like fucking great. Yeah, that's what you're trying to do. It it was fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is, the thing is, I've always said it would never work today because the human race is absolutely desensitized to anything now. You can turn on the news channels and find far more shocking things going on right on your doorstep. And it's real. It's happening. It doesn't take a devil or a fucking God or whatever like that 
to manifest anything like that. It's the human race that does it. You know, we are the gods. We are the devils. We are capable as a human race. We are capable of the most benevolent good. We have created some of the most amazing things, but we are also the most disgusting pieces of shit you will find in the universe when we want to be. You know, Can't disagree it's, as simple, yeah. it's as simple as that. So us singing about things with forky heads and fucking tails and all that kind of stuff, it was, I would never say that, that there was a deliberate message in any Venom song whatsoever. We were exactly what you just said a few moments ago. We were a horror music set, a horror film set to music. Mm-hmm. That's the way we look at it. It was the, you know, before us, I mean, Motorhead was a massive influence. You know, oh, that, that, okay, whole, yeah. that whole fucking clanging punk fucking open code fucking not giving a shit. I had the album Overkill. And as I've, like I say, as, as, as I've had time to sit back and analyze everything, that one album had more of effect on my early songwriting than I ever realized. Hmm. It was more in common with that than anything else. And those songs, those early songs, those early Venom songs, it's a basic power chord. It's a basic rock and roll or blues riffs. And it's a pentatonic scale. And that's it. That's all I had. I was not experienced at that point. I think I'd been playing guitar seriously for maybe two or three years. That was it. And even then, I wasn't practicing it every fucking day. Wow. I've never been a guitarist who sat in a room and went, oh, I've got to do eight hours of fucking scales. What's the point in that shit? It's like, <laughs> okay, so you can, play a, you can play a scale a million miles an hour. And, you know... I've got every admiration for these guitarists. You know, you see them on YouTube and their technical ability is unbelievable, right? right? I remember a guy who used to be an artist relations guy for a company that I had a guitar from many, many years ago. This guy was, as you will say, a shredder. I hate that fucking word, but he was a shredder. He could do the Malmsteen, the Vi, the Satra everything the guy is incredible even to this day he is a fucking amazing guitarist and this company they had some new models of guitars so he got the job of demonstrating this particular guitar and i've seen the um the video of it on youtube and i mean he tore the shit out of this guitar i mean he was burning that fucking fretboard you know i mean the guitar was almost hoisting the fucking white flag and surrender it was fucking incredible what we he was doing and then all of a sudden along the bottom of the video there was this little ticker tape just scrolled along the bottom very slowly and it said can also be used to play a song. <laughs> right. Cause it's, those are not songs when you're doing the solos. And so, I mean, it's cool. Yeah. I love it, but. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, the, the average mainstream consumer of music, not even a music, not even a music fan or a band fan, but the average person who will go, Oh, I like that song and goes and buys it. Right. Or just the average music lover. Right. If you're playing at a million miles an hour, unless they're tuned to that, they're going to switch off mm-hmm. straight away. Yeah, you know? I've always, I've, I mean, I've, I've got no desire to do that kind of stuff. I never have done. And I'm not going to sit down and practice for fucking God knows. How. If I'm going to come into the studio for eight hours, I want to write a song. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest with you, 
I've always said if someone was to offer me one of two gifts, either to be the greatest guitarist the world has ever seen or the greatest songwriter, I would take the songwriter every single time because that's what pe moves people physically and emotionally and that's what connects you to people as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so one of the most famous songs that you ever wrote, Black Metal. I know you've told the story a million times, but tell the story how you wrote that, because that's a pretty funny story. <laughs> it's absolutely true. People have said, oh, come on, that's not true. But it is absolutely true. Um, you know, I, I've said it. I'll, I'll just tell it the way I've told it a million times. That's You know, when you have your cup of coffee in the morning and you go to the toilet to do the ablutions, you know, and some people will take a magazine in. This particular day, I actually did take my guitar with me. So I'm sitting <laughs> on the toilet and I'm playing, right? And the first couple of riffs for black metal happened. So finished what I was doing, went out. I had my dad's cassette recorder. You know, one of those things you press play and record at the same time. Yeah. So I, rec I recorded what I had done and then listening back. And I think within, I don't know, within half an hour, maybe the whole, the rest of the song was put together. That's and crazy. That became black metal. So, and it's is that the song. only song you ever wrote on the toilet, or was there any other ones that you tried to do that songwriting yeah, process? Yeah, that was the only, that was the only one. <laughs> so maybe you should try that it again. You could write one. another masterpiece. But yeah, so I'm curious. Like this time, um, you know, black metal. The Welcome to Hell. Those two first two albums are so uh, iconic and and so so influential. But then you guys, you're you're touring with Metallica. That's crazy. That they're opening for you. That's insane. To, like. That's got to be so we weird to look back on that and go, oh, yeah, we like took these guys out on the road. And what was that like? What kind of memories do you have of those punks back then? Uh, I mean, were they punks? I'm assuming they were kind of punks back then. They were pretty rowdy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Lars was pretty fucking rowdy. Yeah. I, re I remember my actually we, we were in a motel somewhere. I think it was outside New Jersey or somewhere. And uh, it was my manager that stopped me coming out of the motel room because I was going to go upstairs and kill Lars at one point because he was just <laughs> partying all night. And we had a flight to get the next day. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I'll go and sort it out. He's like, I'm fucking killing <laughs> um, uh. But no, I mean, fucking hell. I've met them quite a few times since all that, that period, you know, and we always talk. And... I can't remember, I think it was, was it 2016 or 17, we were doing an American tour as Venom Inc. And uh, we were playing in San Francisco and James came down to see us. And it was so weird. I was on stage and I looked up into the balcony and there was James Hetfield fucking hmm. air guitar and singing every fucking word. It was fucking... So he's brilliant. still a big fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still a big fan. I was, I was actually in the dressing room afterwards and... Um, one of the techs brought my guitar in, so I was just toweling my guitar down. I was putting it in the case and just getting changed, you know, and all I heard was, hey, Jeff! <laughs> I turned around and as James Hetfield, I was like, but uh, you know what it is? Say what you want about those guys, but fuck me, they have worked for their success. You know, well, that's what you said, that you felt like you guys kind of... Uh you didn't really work that hard for your success. You kind of just backed into it. It was like really easy. You thought that was just the way it goes. Like, Oh, you just do a record an album and then you're touring arenas and that's just the way. Yeah, and so yeah. you kind of took it for granted almost. Right. Well, I think, yeah, I think that was one of the, one of the things that happened with us, you know, because it came so easy. Yeah. We were actually rehearsing in a church hall in Newcastle city center on a Saturday afternoon. And then the following Saturday afternoon, we were in front of, I think it was about 3,000 kids in Belgium. 
Mm. It was just bang. It was zero to hero. It really was. We had done the first show that we did as a four-piece um, was my girlfriend's birthday party at the time. We were just all teenagers. So we did her birthday party. Then we played the actual church hall that we rehearsed at. Then we played in Wall's End at a place called the Methodist Church, which was literally just around the corner from where Neat Records was. So everything was sort of in- interconnected as we went along this journey. Um, and I think we played another show at um, some social club, like a working man social club south of the Tyne. It was in either Heaven, Heaven or Pilo, one of the two. So, yeah, I mean, we had done four tiny little shows. Um, and then the first international show was Popperinger in Belgium. It was just bang. I mean, you know, we didn't do anything off really off the back of Welcome to Hell. There was no touring or anything like that. It just went out. And the, the way I describe it is there was, there was no master plan. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction, universal creation, destiny, uh, I've got no religious beliefs, but what I think is that at that point, the stars aligned and the world was ready for something new mm-hmm. and we just happened to be it. It mm-hmm. could have been anybody at that point, but we, it was it was just us. And like I say, there was no fucking master plan there. We weren't, we weren't geniuses by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. No, we just, we just went in there. I think what we had was we had an attitude. And that was it. And I think that attitude, like I say, you know, if you want to analyze the songs, it's all blues and rock and roll stuff in the early days. There isn't a flattened fifth amongst it. You know, there's nothing evil in there, you know. Um, But analyzing those songs, like I say, they're very, very basic. They're very simple songs. And sometimes as you progress as a songwriter, it's difficult to get back to that naivety that you Mm. once had. You know, sometimes it would be nice to get back to this, that simplicity. I think a band like ACDC have kept that simplicity yeah. all along the line. You know? um, and you can be as technical or as fancy as you want, but you you will never get the same reaction as fucking an A chord, a D chord and a G chord, which form fucking highway to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? that's true. It, it's as sim- simple as that. But I think what set us apart was the attitude. I mean, we did an interview with a big broadsheet magazine called Sounds. It was our first major interview. And the next week, they had to extend the letters page. You know, there was no internet back then. There was nothing. People would actually write a letter into the magazine, and they would publish the letter in the magazine. Like I say, the week after our interview, you know, they extended the letter page because there were so many letters went in about us. Some people going, fucking yes, good for them. And a lot of those letters going, who the fuck are these idiots? (laughs) Right. People either loved you or they hated you. There wasn't a lot of middle ground. There was no gray area. In those early days, I never once heard anybody say, Venom, yeah, they're okay. It was either Venom, fuck yeah, or Venom, fucking shit. You know, wow. it was one of one of two reactions. Yeah. And that suited us fine. That's that's what we wanted, you know? If, yeah. if you loved us, brilliant. If you hated us, brilliant. Because if you hate us, you're going to tell everybody else how much you fucking hate us because you can't keep your fucking mouth free, shut. Yeah, it's free advertising. So touring, touring with, uh, uh, you also, besides Metallica, you toured with Slayer and Exodus. That must've yes. been a great show too. Do you guys do a lot of shows on that one? Um, I think that was the world possession tour. Um, yeah, there was, there was quite a few shows. I, I remember the first time I actually went out front to watch uh, Slayer 
Um, well, I'm, I'm sure it might. It may have been the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. I might be wrong about that, but it was, I'm sure it was the tour in '85. And um, there was a little area set, set aside in the balcony, just overlooking the stage, and it was for like VIP and guests mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So Slayer were on, and I went up. I thought I've actually never watched them, so hmm. you know I'll go and check them out. And I remember just standing there being mesmerized by Dave Lombardo. Oh God! Just, right, he is the most amazing what? drummer. Insane. Fuck. What actually went through my mind is, fuck, is that what a drummer does? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That he doesn't get enough credit. Oh fuck! I, I just stood. I, you know, I mean, obviously. Jeff, Tom, and Kerry were there doing that thing, but and you know the, the guitarist. So I'm a guitarist. I should be watching the guitar. Yeah. I was absolutely mesmerized by Dave Lombardo. Like, fucking hell, he is, and you he's know, still that, so amazing. Like how he plays uh, so fast. I just don't know. I mean, that's got to be a skill that's very few people have. That. Uh, he's 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 a one off. He's an absolute one off. I mean, he was. He was um, he was on the on the drums for the Misfits when we when Venom Inc supported the Misfits at oh. um, the Old State Arena in Chicago, and Dave was on on drums for the Misfits on that night. Um, and I mean, fucking hell, you know, you could you could tell it was him. It was that's he's, crazy. He's so he's back incredible. to yeah, so back to Venom. So you're touring with Metallica and Slayer and Exodus. So what happened? Because you said in '86 you left the band. And you won't say why you left. You said the real reason would blow people's minds. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about artistic differences. What are you? Is that in the book? Or when do we find out like why you left? It'll probably be in the book. It'll, be, it'll probably be in the book. Like, I mean, it was it was a horrific incident which occurred at a hotel when we were playing the Lorelei Festival in '85, which was the last time Metallica opened up for us. They would okay. uh, direct support underneath us on the festival, um, and it was a, it was an incident that should never have happened. It was it was just disgusting, and it was at that point, uh, I just I was like, this isn't a fucking band anymore. This is a traveling circus. This is ridiculous, you know. So that was it. And my mind was made up and, you know, there was, there was, there was a discussion uh, before we went home and I was literally waiting for a phone call to go to the Venom office. Um, And there was a phone call, but it wasn't the phone call I was waiting for. The phone call that came through to me was to say that we were going to Japan and I had, from being a kid, obviously into the martial arts, I had had this longing right. to go to Japan. Um, but even, but even then, my my moral code just said no, fuck this. So wow. I actually said, well, "You better get somebody else. I'm not doing it." Bang. Damn, and that was it. So was it something so Conrad it. did, or you can't tell me? Damn, I'm trying, right? I'm trying here. So it's gonna be in the book. You're saving it for the book. Yeah, I know you are. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm excited yeah, to read that because you said it's gonna blow people's minds. So I'm really excited. To, is the book coming out soon? I, I, I can't wait for this. Um. Oh God, you know what it is. Um, I got asked to do this book many, many years ago. I can't even remember how long ago now. Oh, really? And I was always, 
I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know hmm. about it, you know. And I, basically, what, what people were saying to me, and a lot of journalists were saying this to me as well, was the only way we'll get the truth is if you write it. Mm. Because fucking, I mean, yeah. some of the stuff I've read, some of the stuff that I've read that comes out of the other two, mm. I'm like, really? You know, and it's like they're almost creating their own fucking dimension here. It's like, <laughs> guys, really? you know, it, you were you were in the band, right? You were okay. part of, of the band. You don't have to go that extra fucking step to justify it. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, fucking hell. You know those early albums? It's like, right, if you want a bit of controversy, here we go. Those first two albums, Welcome to Hell and Black Metal, right? You look on the writing credits, you'll see Lant, Dunn and Bray. Right? Mm-hmm. The three of them. Okay? Right. Go to What War With Satan. And go to Possessed. And then go to Casting Stone. You'll see Lanton Dunn. Right? And that is because Abaddon never wrote a fucking thing. And he can say whatever the fuck he wants. He never wrote a note. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. That is it. Forget it. So... After Black Metal, myself and Kronos, we had a meeting with our manager at that time, Eric Cook, who's now sadly passed away. But we had a meeting with him in a wimpy burger bar in Newcastle. And we said, basically, why is this guy's name on the songwriting credits? You know? Now, Mm -hmm. if you go back and look at, you know, I I do appreciate when, you know, people say like, oh, it's all for one and one for all and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. If you're going to stay together forever. And, you know, I have a photograph on my phone here that I'm talking to you now. And apparently it's the last selfie that Geddy Lee took of the three of those guys together before Neil Peart passed away. Hmm. All right. Now, this photograph shows three guys smiling and perfectly at ease with each other and just loving the fact that they were actually together. And you know my feeling on that? I looked at that photograph and I went, wow, I'm fucking jealous. I really just looked at that and went, what the fuck happened to us? Why? You know? Mm. And I honestly think the success was so quick, the personalities in the bands changed. Mm. And I'll be the first to admit, yes, I withdrew. Because I'm not a party animal, I'm not a rock and roll animal, I'm into my music, I love being on stage, I love being creative and writing it, but drugs, alcohol, all that shit, I'm not interested. Hmm. I'm not interested in the parties. I don't give a shit what Mr. Fucking whatever his name is, is. I don't give a shit about his reputation off stage. What does he do on stage? Does he deliver? Or does he go on there, wrecked out of his fucking head and all the fans go, what the fuck's he doing? That's a disgrace, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, but on, like I say, on the songwriting side, we had this meeting with the manager, and we said, this isn't on, you know? It's it's just not right. But if you look, look at Judas Priest, look at the songwriting credits, Tipton, Halford, Downard, right away through the career, up until when Faulkner came in, right? Ian Hill was never mentioned. Ian Hill never wrote anything. Mm-hmm. But Ian, Hill, Ian Hill's a founder member. Sure. Right now, look at all the look at the Kiss songs, right? Stanley, Stanley Simmons, Stanley Ezrin, 
Stanley, Simmons, Simmons, Stanley. Right. One or two, freely. There was never a blanket of all four, right? We all wrote this fucking song. Mm -hmm. Queen, the guys in Queen, I saw a documentary where they interviewed Brian May and Freddie Mercury, and they both said that they were fiercely protective of all, over their own songs, even though they were members of the, the same band. And if you watch the, the movie, you know, there's that section where Roger Taylor is trying to get his song, I'm in love with my car. Yeah. Under the album. Right. Yeah. He's Remember fighting that. for that song. That's funny. He wrote that fucking yeah. song. Nobody else wrote that song, right? So... Yeah, that is interesting because, yeah, some bands will just say the whole band wrote it. But, you know, that deep down, it wasn't the whole band. It's usually somebody brought the most majority of the song. Sometimes it's two people sitting down, but rarely is an entire band writing a whole song from from what I've heard. No, no. And the the thing is, I I used to um, I used to be part of a thing called rock school many, many years ago back in England. Mm. And uh, I was the sort of guitar tutor and I used to manage the courses that went on around the area. It was run by a friend of mine called Gary. Um, But I used to look after all the courses and stuff like that. And we used to do a three-month course for kids in sort of, some of the areas were quite deprived. So we were trying to get the kids off the street, get them involved in music. And we used to get all the, dare I say it, we used to get all the misfits, you know, the little goths and the kids who were into metal and, sure. you know, like they were that sort the odd ones out, the, the odd ones out at school type of thing, you know? So I used to get the job of, you know, I, I was the guitar tutor and we used to teach them cover versions and things like that. Then they would get a gig at a, a place called the Auto Academy where all friends and family used to come down and watch them on stage. We used to put them into bands and stuff. It was great. Um, one of the little guys, I mean, he's now 20, I think he's 27, 28. He's a singer songwriter in Australia. You know, there's, I'm still in touch with a few of them. Very talented kids. Great. But I used to get the job also of at one point, one of the sessions, I used to give them a, a little bit of a talk on the music industry and what mm. it involves being in, in the music industry. Sure. You know? And one of the things I used to say was, you know, in a band situation, and I know, I know, I know there's going to be a lot of people disagree with me about this and go, oh, that's all business, that's all business. And I hate the business, right? Music business, the music business. Mm-hmm. Those two words shouldn't even be in the same fucking sentence, <laughs> right? I love music. I hate the business. Side. It's horrible. <laughs> I like the it's finger you used for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. No, you know? so it's, yeah, it's, is it because is it true that you never got royalty checks from your time in Venom? I thought I heard you say no. that. No, no, wait, I never to this day, I have never seen an official royalty statement from Neat Records, who had Welcome to Hell, Black Metal, all the singles, uh, what was it, possessed Ina Klein and that music, right? All of that period of time, I have never seen an official royalty statement or an official neat records publishing statement never once now people have said to me wow you should have a silver disc a gold disc a platinum disc really i'm sure black metal has sold a million copies by now over 40 fucking years i have got nothing not Hmm. a fucking thing but when i used to give the kids this this little talk about the the industry um it's a sad fact but if you're offered anything 
you have to go to a fucking lawyer. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. There's been so many people who have been fucked over because no. they've signed contracts that they didn't know anything about, you know? Yeah. But on the songwriting side, on the songwriting side, I used to say, please be aware that when you start as a band, you might, there might be, let's just say there's four guys in the band, right? These four guys are all, yeah, one for all, all for one, blah, 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 blah. Success can fucking destroy you. A band is one of the biggest destroyers of friendships that I know. Easily. It can destroy friendships. How many bands can you think of where the members now, they won't even fucking look at each other. They won't go in the same room as each other. Separate tour buses. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, separate buses, separate travel, separate this, separate that. It's it's all thing. And the one thing I used to say to the kids was, I know, I know, and I know there's going to be people watching this who go, yeah, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. But get your songwriting credits down, right? Because in ten or fifteen or twenty years' time, when you now hate that person that you used to be in a band with, just remember he's getting the same royalty check as you for a song that you wrote that's true he didn't that's a good point it's that, very that's good. The whole, you know what it is that's a horrible thing to say yeah but it's so true yeah you know and it's 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 a really and you know it's it's not me being and i've i've actually said it's a little bit of a disclaimer in the book really it's i, I say to at, at the end i've written i've written the forward and all the preface and everything like that i'm quite a bit through it but i've also written a good part of the end piece like a prologue Mm. where i say so there you are there you have it what do you think blah 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 blah. um you know you might not agree with everything that's said in here and it's you know some of it is going to be hard to digest and i'm sure that's the same for, for a lot of bands as well but you know at 60 years old, coming from someone who's already died once, if I can't tell the truth now, mm-hmm. when am I going to fucking do it? Right. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it, this, and, and I also say that, you know, it reading between the lines in this book or even in interviews that I do, people could turn around and say, wow, he sounds bitter. No, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter in the slightest. What I am, is I'm sad, angry, and disappointed. Hmm. I'm disappointed in the fact that this band that had so much fucking potential just disappeared up its own arsehole and imploded, right? And, you know, it is a fucking sad fact. And I say this in the book. There's one part in the book where I actually use the words. There's this line. We had the world at our feet and we fucked it up. It was as simple as that. And you did success so quick, but you did get back together with them in 95 for a few years. But now you say there's no way you said, what'd you say? I love this quote. It was like the bridges are burned and the bridges are ashes. Now, like there's just no way that you would ever get back together with the original lineup. I can't see any, and I can't see any way forward for it. Not at all. I I, I really can't let's let again. Okay. Sometimes I can probably, I can probably kill my popularity with my own honesty, right? Right. Let's be brutally honest here. 
why would a band like us get back together? For the fans? For the money? Yeah. For the fans? For the fans? Yes. For the fans? Definitely. Yes. Uh-huh. But there would be a massive financial reward as well. I'm sure. Yeah. And it's, it's, a strange, it's, it's a strange thing that musicians are expected sometimes to just give everything away. You know, it's a strange industry. It's, you know, it's the only it industry where you can create something, sign a contract, and then you don't own it anymore. It's like, excuse me, what the fuck happened there? You know, right. why do you think bands like Metallica have fought to get their whole catalogs back mm-hmm. so that they can do what they want with their own material? Yeah. You know? um, the other question is, do I believe that the world is waiting for a Venom reunion? No, I don't. But if James Hetfield wanted it, he's probably got the money to make it happen, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what, we'll do a private party for James Hetfield and that's it. Oh, can I come? I want to go. To, that sounds like fun. I want to go yeah, to the private yeah, party. In, I'll tell okay. you what, you're on my guest list. If that happens, you're on my guest okay, list. Okay, we'll bring Karabi too. This will be a party, man. This will be fun. Yeah, Karabi can come as well. Okay. He's okay. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about some of your solo stuff because you have all this other projects after Venom. I mean, besides Venom Inc., uh, which is two of the members of Venom, but then you have Mantis, and then you said this band Drill, which is spelled differently. I had to look this up. It's D R Y L L. You did you call yeah, it yeah. melodic rock? Because I listened, I was like, oh, I want to hear this. This is melodic rock. This will this will be something kind of different. I was like, this sounds like Pantera. This is not melodic rock. Are you kidding me? Like what? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, there's the first inception of of Drill. Um, was a little, it was more melodic than the okay. the the later in, inception of it. Um, it was I, I loved being in that band. It was a great band. I mean, there were some cracking musicians in that band as well. I mean, I had Bodo Stricker from Germany on drums, who's a fucking his nickname is Drum Beast. He's mm. fucking incredible. He's an incredible drummer. I had Kalle Kalle Knecht on bass from Germany, who is my studio mentor. He's taught me everything I know about studio work. I actually met Calais on a tour that we can talk about as well. Um, and then we had Neil, Neil Wichard on vocals. Who he just had a great sort of husky, rocky voice. And then we had Andy Metcalf um, on second guitar. It was just, he was a good friend of mine from way, way back. Um, and it was all going, the, the drill thing was going really, really well. Uh, I mean, previous to that, I had the, this Mantis project, the Zero Tolerance album. Yeah. Um, um, but the, the drill thing. When I did when I did drill, we had we were asked to do a charity show in Newcastle at this rock bar called Trillions, and there was a um, there was a DJ who had sadly passed away many years ago. Who he was very prominent on the Newcastle rock scene. Everybody knew him. And um, every year, this rock bar held a little event just to raise money for awareness for the the cause of um, what he died from. I can't remember what it was. That's that's a horrible thing. I can't remember what he died from now, but they used to raise money for it anyway. So there was a lot of like local bands would and like local celebrities even would bring things down to auction and raffle. And there was prizes and stuff like that. And the band used to play. So we got asked to do it. Hmm. Um, But Bordeaux had been at a German festival 
and he had had an accident and broke his arm. Calais was on tour with another band, so we didn't have a bass player, we didn't have a drummer. So, um, cut a long story short, Andy got a bass player friend of his to come in and do it. And um, the guy I got in on drums was actually Kronos's brother. Oh. He, he came in to do it. I would just, because at this point, Anton, Kronos's brother, had reconnected with me from the, oh. the resurrection days. Okay. He had sent me a message. He had basically sent a message to me saying, uh, just to let you know, I've left Venom. I'm no longer with him. Um, my brother is a liar and a thief. That was his words. I was like, oh, shit. So anyway, he had come around to my house and we wow. talked for a long time. And he told me a lot of things. And I remember saying to him that, you know, I says, Anton, there's a lot of things you've told me that I could have told you, but you mm. would never believe me because it's your brother. Mm. You know, it's blood. You know, sure, so sure. I was the one that walked away from that situation. I just went, fuck this. I've had enough of that. So that was another, after resurrection, I just went, uh, hell with this, you know. Um, didn't you more have, involved yeah. in that, but anyway. And speaking so, of drummers, didn't you have a... Uh, what was that, sorry? What's that? I was just saying, uh, speaking of drummers, didn't you have a, a female drummer in your band Mantis? That This is like this big succession, uh, successful uh, session drummer with Simple Minds and Brian Ferry and stuff. Yeah, yeah, now? yeah. We had... Um, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that came through uh, Tony. Um, Tony was with the Mantis Project for a, for a little while, and uh, we were looking for a drummer. And I got a phone call from Tony, and he says, I think I found a drummer in London, because he was living in London by this time. And uh, I was like, all right, cool, yeah, great. You know, because at this point, for some reason, drummers were rare. We couldn't find hmm. a fucking good drummer. Um, so he said, yeah, yeah. He says, do you want to come down to London and we'll audition with, with her? And I went, her? <laughs> he went, yeah, yeah. I went, hey, yeah, that's great. So me and the singer went down, went down to London. And uh, this little, I think she was 17 at the time. Oh, this my little gosh. Petite, demure, little, little Afro-Caribbean girl came in. Beautiful looking little girl. We, I was like. You know, at this point, I had a fucking mohawk and a big beard down here. You know, I was bodybuilding. Yeah. The singer had dreadlocks down to his fucking ass. Tony was bald. You were a bunch of fucking meatheads, you know? Yeah. And there was this little, very pretty little girl there. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And then she started to play. Yeah. When she kicked into play, I was like, holy fucking shit, you know? And I remember we played, um, we played the Earthshaker Festival in Germany. And we walked, we walked on stage, you know, this big, massive, big fucking festival, thousands of people out front. We walked on stage, you know, giving it the whole macho fucking, yeah, fuck yeah, you know, and this little girl walks on behind us, you know. And you could just see the look on the faces of the, the audience, you know. And then when she played, everybody was just like, what the fuck, you know. And then she got the offer to join this uh, female rock band, which she did. Um, what's her name? Who is this drummer? What's her name? Sharice Osei. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she got the jo joined this female uh, sort of pop rock band. Hmm. And I think it was Midge Ewer's daughter who was on guitar at, the po at this point as well. So they did a few things um, and it just didn't quite work out. But then the next thing I know, she's, she's playing session drums for an artist called Mika who had a massive yeah. single hit 
in America. Yeah, I yeah, know, Mika. Yeah. I know that song, actually. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like yeah, poppy yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, really high voice. Yeah, kind of like yeah. Queen, kind of Freddie Mercury kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she was playing drums for him. And then I remember <laughs> I, I got a phone call from her one day and she was like, oh, Jeff, I'm going to be in Newcastle. Well, it was Gateshead, which is south of the town. There's a huge venue called The Sage. Yeah, it's quite an up It's an upmarket venue where posh bands go, right? So you know, um, she said, "Oh, I'm going to be there with Brian Ferry," and I was like, "Fucking hell, Brian! Jesus, I love Brian Ferry's music. Absolute fucking hell, amazing artist." And uh, I couldn't go because I was going away on tour, so I missed that. Uh-huh. But then we have a program in England. Oh, when I was there, it was called Jules Holland. And um, he used to be the keyboard player with a band called Squeeze. And now he's got his own blues hmm. orchestra. He's an amazing keyboard player. Just unbelievable pianist. And uh, Brian Ferry was on this night. And there's Sharice fucking behind the kit. And now she's with Simple Minds. Oh, nice. I love them too. So let's so tell Yeah, that's cool. Now tell me the story about, um, I think it's that time where we t- tell the story about Karabi. Like why you picked to cover that song Resurrected? Because this is kind of a crazy story. You literally were <laughs> resurrected. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm four days away from the third anniversary of it. Um, basically, cutting a long story short, I had a massive heart attack and I died at the side of the road in an ambulance. I was clinically dead for just over five minutes. Oh. Um uh, there was two paramedics attended the scene, but they couldn't do anything and they needed a doctor. By some miracle, they called a doctor who was literally around the corner in his car with equipment and a nurse. They came. Um, I was in the back of the ambulance. My girlfriend, Anita, was with me. Uh, so they do the heart paddles then? Is that what they do? Every year, everything I had the whole nine yards. The, um, what happened was, I mean, my girlfriend came to the side of the ambulance and I would, I looked at her and she said, how are you feeling? And I looked and I, I, I turned and I said, actually, I think the pain's gone. And I just went, boom. And that was it. I was dead. I said those words to her and died. So, so you doctor, felt like then, right before you felt like euphoric or good, you felt like the pain was gone. Uh, just, just the pain had gone. There, there was not. I was lying. Did there. you see a white light or anything? Or oh no, it's not that shit. Um, <laughs> it was. It was literally lights out. I mean, I, I well, I, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, my girlfriend told me. I, I, I described a lot of things to my girlfriend that I thought had happened. Where she, she just went, none of that happened. None of that happened. I was like, what? Eh? and what was minutes or seconds for me? was a full day for her i didn't i didn't know what it was it was surreal so you just like you have no recollection like you just the last thing you remember is you don't feel any pain and then you black out and you wake up and it's like a day later no no i woke up i woke up five minutes later well just over five minutes later what happened was when that when when i went um anita told me that the doctor literally kicked the ambulance door shut there was two Portuguese women came from the pharmacy and just grabbed her to keep a hold of her because she was screaming at this point. Mm. Um, and she said she just stood there and she watched the ambulance just fucking rocking backwards and forwards. Um, the next thing I knew, 
was I, I came around and I looked and the, this doctor had his hand here and he was just doing this and he was going, calm, calm, you died, calm, calm. And I, I remember grabbing his arm going, don't let me die. And he went, no, no, it's, it's okay, you're back, you're, you're here now. You know, and I was like, what the fuck? And I felt a sharp pain in my left-hand side and I reached down and there was blood there. And I found out that that was where they had put a cannula in through my rib cage and shot adrenaline into my heart. And then they had used the electrical paddles after the CPR, the compressions. Um, but I remember that this, the one strange thing that I do remember was all of a sudden I looked at this, I said to this doctor, I said, I'm, I'm really cold. I'm really cold. So they put a, one of these insulated blankets around me, one of these silver blankets. I remember putting my hands out and I just looked at my hands. And the only way I can describe this is, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these photographs which claim to capture a person's aura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them. yeah, I've you done know, that. Yeah, I've done some, that silly thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. That's the only way I can describe it. I looked and right in between my fingers, all the way around, every just perfect lines all the way around. I could just see this. It was I can just describe it as a glow, and everything was tingling. And I was looking, and then I looked down at my lap, and just where my groin area was, I could see this thing just like I can just describe it as a vortex just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and I just sat there mesmerized by this thing just watched it and then it just got faster and faster and then just went just gone what the fuck holy shit I don't know it's it's weird because I've um it's strange because on Netflix um there was a series called surviving death yeah yeah I started watching that the first the first episode was all about people who have had these death experiences. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of it I could relate to going, fucking hell, fucking hell, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's weird hearing other people. I've got a friend in America called Dali and uh, he's had the same experience, but he, he died. And he said, he watched everything happen. He's seen the paramedics bring yeah. him back. You don't he remember that though. Everything going on. Yeah. I didn't see any. Of you that. just like, no, you were totally anything. gone. You didn't see dead just relatives or black. anything. Huh. No, no, it was just black, black out. That was it. But like I said, the only weird thing was this. Yeah. When I was looking at my hands and, I, and then I remember saying to Anita, did I say anything? at any point and she was like what because i heard my own voice the only the 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 other thing with i heard my own voice and it was um i can only describe it as my angry voice right okay if i'm I'm angry with someone right yeah i can my angry voice and it was fucking fight don't you dare give up you fucking keep fighting and that's what i heard wow and and it was my voice. I was like, but because I had said to Anita, was I saying anything? Could you hear it? She said you didn't say anything. Nothing. I was like, fucking hell. Dude, that's a crazy so, story. Didn't you say too uh, that now that you went through that experience, you're not the same person? You said you don't have tolerance for people anymore. No, nah, none at all. I have got <laughs> absolutely, I've, always, I've always been the person who will give 
everybody the first, the second, the third, fourth, and fifth chances. You know, yeah, I'm like, yeah okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Now, one strike and you're out. That's it. Wow. I got no tolerance for anything like that. You know, like it, it's like no, not at all. No, forget it. Get out of my face. And the only the other thing is, um, there isn't one day since this happened on April 30th, 2018. And there isn't one single day since the event that my subconscious doesn't take me back into that ambulance. Every single day I have a flashback. Every day, without fail. Not just like a memory, but like a flashback? Like it feels like you're there? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, just like a, it's like whoa, fucking hell! Yeah, it's it's weird, it's really weird, you know. I mean, dude, it's, it's such a fascinating day, subject. My dad actually wrote a book about it called Ultimate Reality, and he talks about this like uh, really? near death experience. Yeah, you should check it out. It's really interesting. He has like five hundred sources. Like he did all this research on it, and it's really interesting. I, I mean, it's wow. such a fascinating topic to me. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's yeah. interesting. It's funny too because. You know, you had all the satanic imagery and stuff, but then it's like you went through like a near-death experience and it doesn't sound like you were going to hell. So it's like, it's like a totally different, you know, you had a totally different experience. Do you know what it is? Um, it, I've never had any religious belief, to be perfectly honest, but mm-hmm. since, since this has happened to me, it's confirmed it. It's like, oh, bollocks. Absolute shit. You know, it, it's like I said earlier on, man is the God, man is the devil. It's as simple as that. You know, I don't believe there's fucking fires of hell down there. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe there's a fucking heaven with pearly gates up there. But do you think I'm there sorry, is some other sort don't. of other world? Because that's what my dad's book is all about, this ultimate reality. It's not really necessarily a heaven or a hell, but there's some sort of yeah. like other dimension that people kind of, you get glimpses of it, like with near death experiences or people that take really crazy drugs or, you know, there's yeah, just yeah, something yeah. else going on. Cause like when you saw that little thing, I mean, that sounds more than just a hallucination. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it was, I mean, but I think you, you've just said the word there dimension. I yeah. do believe that there's definitely call it an alternate reality. If you mm-hmm. like, I do believe there's, there's, there's something like that, whether it's a belief in ghosts or, or whatever. There's definitely something that we, as humans, will never fully grasp or understand. Right. That's the thing. We don't know you what know? the hell it is. So, yeah, that's why it's confusing. No, no, no. Crazy. No, I, don't think, I don't think we'll ever get there. Well, we got off on a tangent. That was fascinating, though. But so then anyway, so then that you decided you're going to cover the Dead Daisies Resurrected and you mm-hmm. kicked ass at this cover, and Karabi actually reached out and said, "Hey, nice job on that." Yeah, and now you yeah. guys are friends. I, mean, I, I love that. Um, I've always loved the band, you know. And I remember I had uh, the album "Burn It Down" on on my phone, and my favorite track off the album was "Resurrected." And I was just listening to it one day, and um, for some reason. It just struck me more than usual, you know. I'm back, resurrected, yeah. you know, from the you know, from the fire to the flame, and all. And I thought, fucking hell. And I've always wondered if I had a singing voice. I've never tried. I've never given it a shot. And of course, the lockdown thing. We weren't doing anything, and I've got the studio here, so I thought, ah, oh, fuck it, why not? You know, nobody else is going to hear it, are they? 
So um, I learned the track on guitar and I put down verse, bridge and a chorus. That's all I did. Verse, bridge, chorus. Put some programmed drums behind it. Played a little bit of bass on it. So I had a backing track. Um, and then I had a few shots at singing it. Did a little bit of EQ and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I thought, that's not too bad. I sent it to my friend Kali, um, who's, like I say, he's a German engineer, sound engineer. He's very straightforward, very honest. And he was like, mm, yeah, there's something there. You know, it wasn't dismissed. Let's put it that way. Because mm-hmm. I had said, be honest, you know, if it's shit, I'm hitting the delete button. It's as simple as that, you know. So anyway, I worked on it, um, finished it off. And then I thought, you know what, uh, the Venom Inc. thing, we had just done uh, um, a virtual concert for a, for a festival where we all had to do it via green screen because I'm in Portugal, Tony's in London, Jeremy's in Florida. So we all did it via green screen and then we were put together on the stage. So I've got the green screen just up there. So I thought, come on, then. why not? Let's do a video. You know. So I did the video for it, put the video up on YouTube. The next thing I knew... Um, the Dead Daisies had put a post up saying, wow, check out this cover by Jeff Mantis, you know? And oh, I was that's like, cool. Holy shit, you know? So I was like, oh, brilliant. Then they put it into their playlist on their website. I was like, oh. wow. And then Christmas Day, I was sitting watching some god-awful Christmas movie or something. <laughs> and my, my phone just went ping. So I just glanced down at my phone. I didn't have my glasses on. So I could just barely make out the fucking Instagram little sign. So I was like, all right, well, you know, and ping, and ping again. So I looked like that. So I opened it up. And the first thing I seen was John Karabi. I went, fuck off. No I think he likes doing that to people because he did the same thing to me. He called me on my phone when I reached out for an interview. He called me personally and said, hey, it's John Karabi. I was like, what? Like that? Yeah. So I think he likes getting that reaction out of people. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, um, I I read the message and I was just like, what? He loved the cover. Then blah, blah, yeah, that's blah. awesome. Like, wow. So I messaged back, you know, and we've sort of been talking ever since. And then um, we've got a mutual friend who helps us on the sort of tech side, a guy oh. called Sean Reed. And um, I was talking to Sean one day and Sean went, oh, I'm just getting a message from John. I was like, all right. Yeah, yeah. Not, I didn't think anything of it, you know. And he said, he's going to call you. And I went, yeah, right. Whatever. You know, as I said, yeah, right. Whatever. The phone rang. Look, John Carrot, fuck off. No way. So I opened it up. There he is. We're on a video call together. We were on for about an hour and 30 minutes, just chatting, shooting the shit, as you say. And um, so, yeah, we've been talking ever since. And then I did this other podcast a week or so ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was, where they were talking all about the heart thing and fucking, yeah. I had a doctor on. I saw that, yeah. A coffee talk with a a Dika? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Of course, John showed up there as well. Yeah. You know? So, um, so anyway, cut a long story short. When we were talking to, when I was talking to John, I said, uh, "I says right while you're here, right in front of me now." And I said, "You can tell me to fuck off if you want. You can say no." I says, "But I would love to write a song." You know. And he was like, "Hey, why?" You know. I was like, "Right, okay." So I've just sent him uh, a track. Cool. I got a message back saying. 
he's like he's like wow some cool stuff there he's i think he he said he was in new york visiting friends so he said i'll i'll jump into it when i get back so hey you know if it happens it happens uh, great i would love to do some stuff with is him. it just going to be a one-off uh, like uh karabi mantis or is it like for his solo I stuff or I, venom inc or what is it going to be I, I don't i really don't know i okay. mean obviously john's john's got his thing that he does you know um but hey, I mean, if, if something came along, you know, if we could do an album together or something, I would love oh, that. I mean, okay, wow. I love, I, I love his voice. Yeah, I love John's voice. Me too. He's got, he's just got a great, great voice. Great voice. Um, I mean, what he did, I was never a Motley Crue fan, right? Um, but what he did in Motley, I thought was, I. I it was great, you know. Me too. Even back to the scream, the, the stuff that he yeah. did, scream, you know. I love like, it. You know, I went, I went back and I, re I revisited all that stuff and went, fucking hell, I forgot about this, you know. It was like I was never into that sort of hair metal type of fucking thing, you know. But like when you listen to some of the songs, if you take away all that other shit, yeah, and you listen to the songs, I was like, wow. And then the union stuff with Bruce Cole, and yeah. like, and uh, I yeah. just thought, you know what it is. If I if fuck, I don't care what you can write them any lyrics you fucking want as long as you just so what I've done is I've I've sent them this song. Um I had an idea for a chorus. So I've sort of I just put a rough guide vocal down for the chorus. The rest of the stuff I said, hey, oh, it's all there to be changed. Whatever. So I've got about another two, maybe three songs on the go, but it's all classic rock hard hard rock blues stuff you know so but that's like um, you told me drill was melodic rock though and that sounded like pantera <laughs> so this is real classic <laughs> rock it's like trust me this is this is okay this is gonna be speaking classic. of pantera yeah, yeah, yeah. uh the singer pantera uh phil and anselmo wished you a happy birthday the other day i was like kind of like blown oh, away yeah. i was like what he so he's a fan everybody loves you man you're like a legend in the metal community Apparently so. That's <laughs> pretty know. cool. Yeah. You Are know, you friends with I him, or is, is he just a fan? No, I've, I've I've never met the guy. I've never met him, but I do know, I do know he he was up on stage with um, Kronos's version of Venom, and okay. he did Die Hard with them. Um, hmm. And I do know he's got a tattoo of the Black Metal album cover on his back. Um, yeah, he's and a, yeah, he's a massive Venom fan. So you could do like think about the album you could do if you had Karabi on it and Hetfield and Anselmo and who knows how other how many other legends or fans of you like you could just do like a a guest vocalist solo album. It'd be amazing. Do you know what it is? I would love to. I would absolutely love to. I would yeah. love to do something. Like that. That'd be Great. awesome. That'd be really fun. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh -huh. Well, oh, that'd be cool. yeah. Well, um, do you have anything else you want to promote right now? The, the book is coming. I know you do a, a Patreon page, right? Where you have a uh, personal footage of your old Venom shows and, and other stuff. Oh yeah. 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 Uh -huh. the, the, the Patreon thing. Um, it's just basically patreon.com forward slash Jeff Mantis. Okay. Um, on there, there's various different tiers. Um, there's a guitar instrumental every month even at the lowest tier. So there's going to be over the course of a year, there's going to be 14 guitar instrumentals, which are going to make an album. Oh. But the album is, is purely for the Patreons. Okay. Uh, on month six and 12, you will get um, bonus tracks, which makes up the 14 tracks on month 12. You get um, 
the downloadable artwork for the album cover. And if you're on one of the higher levels, you will also get the album T-shirt. Uh, there's there's old footage, side stage camcorder, high yet camcorder footage of Venom concerts. Um, I do a thing which is a photo archive where I talk about all the different unseen photographs, like places we used to go in Newcastle rehearsing. Hmm. There's a lot of cool stuff coming up on there. I've just done something today because um, I'm doing a series of re-recorded Venom tracks, but with guest vocalists. Oh, and okay. the, latest, the latest vocalist is a female vocalist called Diva Satanica from uh, Nervosa. Uh, great female, all female thrash band. Oh, okay. Uh, so she's doing that. Um, I've got other guests lined up. So I'm just doing all the re records and then they're going to do it. And then we're putting a video together. Okay. So that'll probably be once a month or something like that. But Patreons will get to see the making of that, the mixing of the songs, all this kind of thing. And, um, and 25% yeah. of everything which is generated, so 25% of all monies generated goes to help. Um, my local cat and dog sanctuary, and I have a, a small cat sanctuary in my own back garden. Okay, I've got thirteen, I've got 13 rescue cats out there. Um, is there someone if people just want to donate to the cat sanctuary? Is there a link for that? Where they yeah, can... yeah. If you go, if you go to my website, which is jeffmantis.com. Oh, okay. And that's where uh, is that where the Venom Incorporated stuff is as well? Uh, there's a there's a link to the Venom page okay. there. As yeah. Well. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if you go to jeffmantis.com, there's one of the drop-down menus is Song Shop, where you can buy all the drill material. There's a classic rock and blues album that I did many years ago with a friend of mine. That's there. Um, and all, like I say, 25% of all the proceeds there goes to the shelter and my shelter. There's T-shirts, which, which I've designed. Again, 25% of everything goes there. Um, and... Within that, there's a donate page. Okay, okay. I'll put that on there the too, yeah. Page, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll put all the stuff in the notes. Okay, yeah, I'll put it all yeah, in the yeah. notes of the of the podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. It should be in the notes. I'll, I'll put your links there, and people could donate, or they can go to Patreon or, or buy all your other stuff on your website. Awesome. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. This has been a blast. This is a great yeah. conversation. I had a lot of fun. Oh, Absolute pleasure. Okay, well, yeah. you have to come on again because I had a bunch of other stuff I wanted to ask you, but we just ran out of time. So I'll, I'll have yeah, to. Yeah, no problem. Okay, cool, man. Any Thanks, Jeff. Like. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Okay. Cheers now. Bye bye. Well, there you have it. Jeff Mantis done from Venom, Venom Incorporated. What an amazing life he's led thus far from having Metallica open for him to dying and coming back to life. I'm excited to read his book if that comes out, and I'd love to hear him do an album with Karabi. I think that'd be amazing. Uh, Jeff's website is in the show notes, so you can just click that from wherever you're listening. Uh, my website is on there as well, and you can follow both of us on social media. And if you enjoyed this interview, uh, make sure to check out some of my other interviews. Uh, I have John uh, Donay of Anthrax, Blasco of Ozzy and Rob Zombie Band, uh, Wiley Arnett from Sacred Rite, Lips from Anvil, Dave Elfson from Megadeth and many others. So if you want to support the show, please like comment or share these episodes as that helps the show grow and we cannot grow without you. So for those of you who do share the episodes, I am eternally grateful. Have a great day and remember to shoot for the moon. <laughs>